0: Hello and welcome to Episode 9 of Forensic Minds, a podcast that is aimed at those studying to be a forensic psychologist, those that have an interest in being a forensic psychologist or those that, to be honest, are just interested as to what it actually is forensic psychologists do. My name is Madison Riachi and I am a current doctoral candidate at Swinburne University studying the Doctor of Clinical and Forensic Psychology. And today I am coming to you from the land of the Kulin Nation and I would like to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. So today this podcast episode is a little bit different. It's mainly focused at um, those that are interested in the postgraduate programs available to study forensic psychology. So we're going to be talking all things, these forensic programs. So there are currently two available in Australia, the first being the University of New South Wales, so UNSW for short. They offer a forensic master's program. And then the second is the one that I'm currently doing, which um, is the Doctor of Clinical and Forensic Psychology, available at Swinburne University in Melbourne, Victoria, now today we have Anita and Troy who both um, uh, have very important roles in both of these programs. Anita is currently the Director of the UNSW Forensic Psychology Clinic and is heavily involved in the Forensic Masters Program and Associate Professor Troy McEwen. Uh, Troy is currently the Convener of the Doctor of Psychology Clinical and Forensic Program in, uh, at Swinburne. So I'll tell you a little bit about both um, of these people before we get into the podcast. So Anita, um, Anita was trained as a clinical psychologist at the University of Alberta and the University of Calgary and practiced in Canada, both in private and public settings as a forensic psychologist. She's been in practice since 1990 and has provided assessment and treatment, conducting training and provided supervision to many training psychologists. Since coming to Sydney in 2006, Anita has continued to be involved in developing the clinical curriculum of the Masters of Psychology Forensic Program at UNSW. Teaching and coordinating the clinical training of the graduate students in the program has included training, supervision, as well as developing and coordinating placements. Anita is an endorsed forensic psychologist and member of the APS College of Forensic Psychologists. Now, uh, Associate Professor Troy McEwitt. So, Troy's research interests focus on improving the understanding, assessment, and treatment of stalking, intimate partner, and family violence, and deliberate fire setting. She has a particular expertise in the development and evaluation of risk assessment uh, instruments for these and other behaviours, such as violence and sexual offending. In addition to her research role, (laughs) Troy is a clinical and forensic psychologist who has worked in both inpatient and community forensic mental health settings since 2008. She continues her clinical practice as a senior psychologist at the Victorian Institute of Forensic Mental Health. Forensic Care. Troy is currently the convener of the Doctor of Psychology Clinical and Forensic Program and teaches multiple postgraduate courses in addition to supervising uh, postgraduate research students. She is currently the president of the Australian and New Zealand Association of Psychiatry, Psychology and Law. So um, uh, now I would like to welcome Anita and Troy. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Troy and Anita. It's a real pleasure to have both of you here. Um, and as I've already kind of mentioned, this episode is focusing on uh, students in their undergraduate um, degrees and who might have an interest in pursuing a postgraduate qualification in forensic psychology. Um, So I guess to start off with, I know that I've kind of already read your bios out, but if you could individually tell us a bit about what role um, you hold within your respective postgraduate programs
1: okay i'll start Uh, i i'm anita and uh basically my role is that i teach the professional ethical classes there's six that run across the two years um unsw is on a uh three term uh year and so we have three 10-week terms uh so uh we have these classes that run right throughout that are attached to the placements i'm also the director of the clinic and our clinic runs off campus and i provide supervision and training uh as part of that great and
2: i'm i'm troy so um very hopefully, we have different accents, which makes it very obvious who's who. Um, so, my role, I'm my title is I'm the convener of the Doctor of Clinical Forensic Psychology at Swinburne University. Um, what that means in practice is I am kind of the main point of contact for most of the doctoral students, uh, all, all the all the DSARC students. Um, I do all the um, admission interviews with some colleagues. Um, I convene the placement units. Um, I also act as a research supervisor for some students doing the the course and I also teach into um, some of the one of the coursework units Um, I can be one of the coursework units on child and family um, forensic psychology Um, so yeah so it's kind of a lots of different things but uh, that's a summary.
0: Great, awesome, thank you. And yes, very helpful that your voices are so distinctive from one another. (laughs) Um, I guess for the people who are listening who might be in their undergraduate degrees, do you mind just outlining, I guess, what's the difference between um, an undergraduate in psychology versus a postgraduate degree in psychology? Well, I
2: suppose a postgraduate degree in psychology is at least the, the degrees that we're talking about today are much more um, practice oriented. So undergraduate psychology as you everyone probably listening is aware is um, is more theoretical. It's a science. It's just kind of a, the idea is a science degree. So you're learning about how human psychology works and you're looking at scientific studies and looking at the evidence base as you progress through into postgraduate psychology um, in, in, in the D-Psych and the UNSW Masters, you're really learning how to be a psychologist, which is obviously one of the things you can do with an undergraduate degree in psychology. So um, you're learning the skills that are involved in working directly with clients, um, in understanding mental health and mental illness, um, in providing treatment, in undertaking assessment. So all the things you do when you actually work on the ground as a psychologist, which both both Anita and I are, as as well as doing our academic roles.
1: Yeah, I, absolutely. And I, I think that I would add, for me, the biggest difference between undergraduate and postgraduate training is the expectations around um, students taking responsibility for their learning. Um, and as well, I think one of the other big, big changes is that you know, as a student, you kind of just need to know what the university wants you to do. Um, But as a psychologist, a training psychologist is that you are registered as a provisional psychologist when you're doing your training. And so you are beholden to the profession at that point uh, to act professionally and ethically. Uh, You are under the auspices of APRA. and, uh, And so your behavior is seen in a much, much different light um, than as a student. That amount of responsibility, um, it it just increases hugely because you're actually dealing with real human beings, often, especially in forensic psychology, quite uh, vulnerable human beings.
0: And in terms of feedback from students about um, that big jump from your undergraduate into your postgraduate, um, what's the feedback, I guess, when they initially start going into their placement units and they get that experience of being a provisional psychologist and working as a provisional psychologist with, as you mentioned, Anita, usually a vulnerable client group, what's the feedback from some of the students?
1: I think that the big shock is that uh, as well as that they're moving from being in a competitive position. They're trying to get into the program. All of a sudden they're in the program and we say, okay, now work collegially. And that can be really Really hard. We're also uh, really kind of emphasize a growth mindset where we're asking people to try and often fail because they're learning new, they're going back into a novice mindset, where they're going to be trying new things that they've never tried before, ask them to write a paper awesome, easy, they can do it with their eyes closed. But all of a sudden, we're asking them to put together a session plan, or we're asking them to run an assessment or run group, and it's just such new, new, new stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think that that is part of the um, adjustment, um, is is being able to go and, and uh, recognize that. I think also, it's about Moving from you know what Troy was saying about the the kind of theoretical into the practical, and sometimes recognizing that you know that that there's a uh, you know they're really good at the academic part, but the the practice part can be a struggle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would totally agree, and I think I mean
2: if I reflect on students who who I've worked with, and you know thinking back to the dim dark ages of being a student myself. probably one of the the biggest challenges I I think some students find is that you're sitting in the room with a person who who is there for a reason um they're coming to see a psychologist for a reason whether that's voluntarily or not and in forensic quite often they're not there voluntarily and so all that kind of um all the emotions that come with that and they're having to be able to manage that and work with that and deal with that in the room in the moment I think that's that's just a challenge for anyone who's coming into postgraduate psychology practice training. Um, and then you add the forensic lens on top of it with, you know, usually quite complex clients and quite complex challenges and sometimes quite um, confronting behaviour that has led that person there. Um, and that I think is something that students have to um adapt to and develop the skills to be able to work with that and manage that in an effective way so it doesn't affect them in a way that stops them from being able to help that person so i, I think that's a real um it's a real as, as an a kind of a growth and a learning process to do that it doesn't come straight away and no one has it straight away um and and it's something that you develop over the course of the the degrees i think
1: yeah in in some i think there will be tears yeah. <laughs>
0: 100%. <laughs> I can definitely confirm there have been tears. <laughs> For many reasons. Yep, yep. <laughs> Um, And I guess, so we're talking about two different programs here. So UNSW, the Masters of Forensic Psychology, and then Swinburne, the Doctor of Psychology, Clinical and Forensic. So do you mind individually breaking down, just for the people listening, what is involved in each of those programs in terms of the different components and expectations of the students?
1: Sure. So the master's program has three elements at UNSW, so it's provided generally over two years, but it can be extended. We don't call it part-time because it's never part-time. Once you start doing placements, it is not part-time at all. So the three elements, the first one is coursework. That's probably the one that students would be most familiar with. uh, then the second element is the thesis. Again, most students are familiar with that. At UNSW, the thesis is about 7,500 words and is, uh, has to be written in the form of a journal article. So it's a little bit different than most honors. Um, and the last one that, that seems to be probably the, the one that most students are really interested in is the placement component. So students have to complete 1,000 hours of placement, Uh, usually the first placement at well within our program uh, about the first 500 hours is done at uh, the internal clinic where they kind of uh, get the foundational skills Uh, and then they in their second year they do two external placements and uh, so those kind of three components make up that program there's also a combined program where you do your master's and phd you don't do the the thesis part of it. You just do the the dissertation part. Just I shouldn't say just. <laughs> um, a, a, and that's usually four or five years. So you get both the master's and the um, uh, PhD. Is 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 combined. Mm-hmm. So um, that's generally what that looks like. Um, I think we've pointed out before in Troy in conversations I've had with Troy is that our programs are. Um, overseen by what's called APAC, which is an accreditation council. So a lot of the requirements are, you know, can, can look quite similar, but, but Torres is actually there. Your program is quite different. So I'll let yeah. you. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's um, so the forensic parts of the doctor of clinical and forensic psychology at Swinburne um, are essentially the same as the masters at UNSW because of that APAC um, thing that Anita mentioned. So so yes, coursework placements, um, and then there's a, we have a research component too, but it's a little bit different. I'll talk about that in a sec. the placements for us, because the d is a combined specialty degree, so you get a forensic specialty and a clinical specialty, so a clinical psychology specialty, the placements do look a little bit different in the Swinburne course. Um, so we do um, all up 1,500 hours of placement. So students will do 500 hours of um, designated clinical psychology placement. And they will do a thousand hours of designated forensic psychology placement. And across those two placements, they have to have certain experiences and 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 meet certain competencies that are that are set again by that accreditation body APAC. Um, so, like UNSW, our first placements are at the Swinburne University Psychology Clinic. Um, so, for us, that's a clinical placement, not a forensic placement. Um, and then subsequently, students will go on to do um, an, another an introductory forensic placement, which happens with our Our industry partner, if you like, which is the Victorian Institute of Forensic Mental Health um, down here in in Victoria, uh, and they will take the introductory placement and then the students will go on to advanced placements in both clinical and forensic psychology. So across all that, that's 1,500 hours of placement. The other... um, thing that differs because again it's the combined course the students also do clinical coursework so they do the forensic coursework that we mentioned before that's very similar to the masters at UNSW but then the students will also do forensic um sorry clinical psychology classes um that meet APAC requirements for that specialty so there's there's a there's a higher course workload um and the other thing that's different about the DSc is that it is actually a research degree. So it's it's more like um, Anita mentioned the combined master's PhD. It's more similar to that. So you actually do a, a PhD-sized research project as part of your course. So um, that's, you know, anywhere usually word count doesn't really matter. But <laughs> to get some sense of the idea, it's usually somewhere between kind of, you know, sixty 000 and 80,000 words somewhere in that realm. Um, sometimes they're a bit shorter depending on the sort Context sometimes they're at the longer end of that. Um, And so, that whole thing, I, as it probably sounds, it's quite busy. <laughs> um, so that that takes students. Usually, the candidature is four years, um, and most students will will finish in four years. Um, we we occasionally have students who go longer than that, but um, but not not often. Um, but the other benefit to the program is because it's a, a research degree, um, you are eligible for research scholarships and a research stipend. Um, so not everyone gets a scholarship, but everyone. Has a stipend where their fees for the research degree are paid so that's one of the big kind of i suppose draw cards if you're interested in research and you do have to be interested in research to do the day psych it's it's not something you want to do if you're not so into research if you just if you just want to do practice i would say don't do the day psych you definitely want to have to want to do research because it's a big project but it is a, a benefit that it does um does have that, that fee
0: wave a waiver Can confirm, definitely need to be uh, interested in research (laughs) to to do the D psych. I didn't actually mention Anita, Troy is my supervisor. Um, So (laughs) I have to be careful what I say. (laughs) Very careful. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I guess we've kind of already highlighted some of the differences between the programs, but out of everything that was mentioned, is there anything that you can kind of think of that's an additional difference between the two?
1: I think that what I'd like to add, though, is is the the model that um, Swinburne is using right now, which is kind of that uh, program where there is more of a scientist practitioner, is I think the, the model that I would love to go and see Australia moving in, uh, in that direction. Because I think, especially in forensic psychology, because it's such a new and emerging field that... Um, uh, there, there's lots. Oh my gosh! You know, every week we're having conversations where we're saying, "Wouldn't that be cool to know this?" Or "Do we know enough about this?" Or you know, those kinds of things. So, I really love the idea of the scientist-practitioner model, and um, I think that the that that model is is excellent. I mean, even in the masters, we do try to go and emphasize. But it, it really is. It's a professional training, you know program and so most of our students will go through and uh because they want to practice as you know practicing forensic psychologists um we want them to be at least good consumers of research um but but again i think best best case scenarios where they're also creating um the research as well and i think look i think that
2: um the reality is the majority of our students um, actually do go on to practice rather than do research. So so I think, as you say, Anita, that's a really key thing because hopefully by the time they get to the end of it, they are good at evaluating research and looking at what's done well and what's not. And, and you know, just because they've had to do it so much as part of their own research project, let alone doing the research themselves, they've, they've had to read so much and absorb so much information that is research oriented. Um, and I think, you know, one of the strengths, the, the, the centre, the research centre at Swinburne that runs the d um, the Centre for Forensic Behavioural Science, um, the reality is that the D-Psych is really the engine room of our research agenda as well. So it really, um, we have at any one time somewhere around 35 to 40 um doctor of psychology students and and, you know being supervised you know across kind of 15 different staff maybe with more and then sometimes there's external people who are supervising and and really the, the the research and the um, publications and the work that those students do really does form a significant proportion of of the um, knowledge that we're able to build as a research centre. Um, so it has this kind of dual benefit, which is that, as Anita says, you know, when our, again, a lot of our staff are practitioners, they're clinicians, and so when we have something in our practice, and we're like, oh, that's really interesting, and that's something we really would like to know more about, or we think there's not enough there, we can actually go, oh, well, let, let's let's. Find a student who thinks that's oh, interesting too and let's go and do research there and so we can kind of and so an example of that recently you know last year with COVID, all every forensic psychologist certainly did more telehealth or services practice so you were doing assessments for the court you were doing treatment you're doing all sorts of things via telehealth and, and one of our professors michael de fern had already kind of had a bit of an interest in that area um but then all of a sudden this is this enormous change and so he very quickly was able to have someone you know pivot I hate that word but pivot to to do a survey of, of practitioners to look at how they how their use of teleservices services had changed in that time uh, and then that's also being incorporated back into other students doctoral thesis so there's this kind of you can very quickly kind of do that kind of thing which yeah. is I've got to say you know it, it's a lovely privilege to have it, and, and it is a privilege to have it um that we have that 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 we're able to have that wider view oh
1: i just read the article it's great (laughs) and i just but what i yeah and again what i really like is the idea of not either or but both so yeah
0: absolutely and in terms of um anita you mentioned earlier when we're in our undergraduates and then going into our honours, it's very competitive in terms of then getting into your postgrad training. Um, Is there anything that you can recommend to people who are interested in getting into postgraduate psychology, particularly in the courses that we're talking about at the moment? Do you have any recommendations for people looking to pursue that option?
1: We absolutely recognise how hard it is to go and get – any kind of relevant forensic um experience most uh people who are interested gets you know cut off at the knees when they say can i come and watch or that kind of thing because often the kind of work we do is uh court related and so it means that we just you know the limitations of 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 that just often preclude students from coming in and seeing what we do um, so but relevant interest can certainly look like uh, volunteering with places like Lifeline or those kinds of things. So that's kind of, so I what I think it's, what we're looking for obviously is, is an excellent academic record. Um, if you're doing an honours project to try to do an individual project so that we get to go and see your individual effort versus like a, a group project, it's harder sometimes to tease out what a particular student has done. Um, We are looking again sometimes for that relevant, that relevant experience, but that relevant experience needs to get parlayed into um, the ability to kind of have good social skills, like we're looking for somebody who can engage. And uh, so part of our interview process is a role play and what we're looking we're not looking for amazing super shrink skills we're looking for somebody who can kind of be warm and engaging and compassionate um, in a in in a very stressful situation so uh, i guess that's that would kind of be you know again we of course referees are important but we also know when i read them i'm always thinking who's going to go and choose a referee that's going <laughs> to say something terrible about them so you know we're expecting glowing referees so that that often doesn't differentiate as 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 much although if you lacked that that would be problematic as well I guess.
2: Yeah. I would also say that we're and I'll emphasize um everything Anita said we're exactly the same as what we're looking for mm-hmm. um I, I will emphasize that for us um in the day you know excellent academic results is is really important um you know the reality is in our course that you, you don't you won't get through it unless you have the capacity um, academically to, to do a major research project and to think about complex issues and synthesise information and also the juggling of, you know, four different things at once, which is what these courses are like. Um, but the other thing I think we're looking for um, is someone who has the ability, and this is particularly I think important in forensic, the ability to not be judgmental because um, The reality is that a big part of being a forensic psychologist is being able to sit with a person who you might not morally like what they've done and you might not think that's okay but that can't affect how you interact with that person you have to be able to um not you know judge them as on an interpersonal level you you really have to be there to 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 whether it's to provide an opinion to the court that is impartial or whether that's to help that person change their behavior or whatever it is and so you know anything that a, a potential student can demonstrate where that's so a quality and that's that's a hard thing to demonstrate um but equally it might be some of the volunteering things i see that people apply for that we quite like um people who volunteered with things like um programs for prisoners had been released like so buddy programs or mentoring for young people who've had trouble with the law um, we've had a few students who've worked for um uh, this is Victoria, so I'm apologies if they'll be called different things in different places. But Vacro and AXO, which are like social organisations that provide service to people who have either former prisoners or people who are on community corrections kind of orders and these kinds of things. And so they they will have sometimes volunteers, sometimes paid staff. Um, and we've had a couple of students who've applied, and we've said, look, you don't you know, right now it's probably not the right time. You, you need to get a bit more experience. You need to get a real sense of whether this is really where you want to go. And they've gone away and actually got paid jobs with those kinds of organisations and worked as like a case manager or something like that and actually then gone, yeah, no, I really, I do want to do that. And they've built some skills and they've built that ability to engage with people that they need, that maybe didn't quite have. And then they've come back and they've, they've got into the course. So that's on the foundation of the academic, you know, um, skill. But then the other stuff is the, the stuff you need in addition to that.
0: And in terms of um, people thinking about getting into these programs, they're both full-on programs and very demanding of their students. So in terms of um, people thinking about whether that's the right avenue for them, what do you think are some of the things that people need to consider? Like what will the challenges be?
2: It's a full-time job. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's a full-time job that that's the reality um and that's um you can't really expect to work or be employed in, in any work um you know some students manage to like have a day a week because they and some, some of our students aren't for us most of our students are on scholarship but some are and they still manage to get by but I'm you know many of those people have a partner or, or other families who can help support them but they but realistically you can't expect to work you know, more than a day a week—it's just not realistic, particularly in the first couple of years of our course. Um, That's—I'd th- say—the biggest challenge. Um, the, it's just—it's—it's it's just full on.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think sleep can com- become a hobby. Really, it's—it's <laughs> yeah, it's not an easy thing. Um, I think the other piece that can be challenging is, I think, touching on what Troy was saying, is about being, you know, having your beliefs challenged and and that kind of thing. But it can also be uh challenges about what you thought psychology was in your undergraduate and a lot of our uh, students come in because they think that they're marvelous at solving all their friends problems and so they want to become a psychologist and bless them they come in and they and they you know they get their ass handed to them sorry (laughs) sorry about my language there but It's 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 yeah thanks um But basically, it can be really frustrating because it's a it's a different set of skills than sometimes um, individuals anticipate. Um, Also, I think what often comes up is that students can be challenged by some of the barriers to their own learning. The biggest barrier that we often see is things like anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, we we have lots of really smart students who anxiety has actually been pretty functional for them to go and do really well academically. Yeah. And then they get into the program and then they find that it actually impairs their ability to kind of really learn the skills and, and engage in learning, uh, especially some of the new skills. Um, and sometimes you know they need to take some time to go and overcome these barriers. And that can be really, really challenging. Mm-hmm. I also think the very biggest challenge that a student can face is when they come into the program thinking that that this is the thing that they want to do for the rest of their lives and then they start learning it and they realize it isn't a good fit. And that can be really, really hard. And having those discussions about with students where it's like maybe you're not going to be a a forensic psychologist maybe you need to go and do something different maybe or maybe you want to do more research you know focus on something that is not that kind of um uh practice oriented um just because either the barriers are too big or it just doesn't fit and i think that that's really hard especially if you spent five six eight years of your life getting to to this point i think that that's the biggest challenge is it's hard because you you get to the very end after working really, really hard, and um, it sometimes isn't what you think it is.
0: It's a very good point, actually, something that I hadn't thought of personally, so thanks for highlighting that. I know that in terms of becoming a psychologist here in Australia, there are a lot of different pathways it's not just higher research degrees um, or higher degrees it's the four plus two or the five plus one so in terms of doing a higher degree to become a psychologist what do you think is the advantage of pursuing that path as opposed to any of the other paths
1: um australia is really unique in that they there are these multiple paths to become becoming a psychologist. Um, the four plus two is being phased out which is a program where you would finish your honors and then go off and do two years under supervision uh to become a psychologist it's the only place that i'm aware of where the Mm. um registration board is the arbiter of the like it acts like an education board. is very strange. I actually
2: thought that had already been phased
0: out. There are still,
1: I think that there's still intakes, um, I think up until the end of this year or next year, like it's because they wanted to make sure that people who'd started, I think their undergraduates still had the opportunity. Ah, So it's still being phased out. I think it's, I think it's 2029 is going to be the last year or something. It's just a very long time. Um, So, that's being phased out there's the five plus one uh and so the both the four plus two and the five plus one are what it's not a great term but they're kind of dead end um like you only get to be uh, a generally registered psychologist at the end of both of them um if you do the sixth year you get to do another couple of years of a registrar program and you can be um uh, an endorsed psychologist uh and, and so I I really think that it's a very strange program where, or a a strange um, system that we have in Australia, where I don't think the public is really well aware of some of the differences in the training. And I've seen some four plus twos that are well-trained and 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 some that have really good specialty training because that's where they actually did their two years so they might have worked at an eating disorders clinic or something like that and they're very very good at that but they're not good generalists because i actually think it really takes a community to build a good psychologist and and i think that that's what sixth year and and beyond programs do is that they they have just a real multi um yeah just really multi-professionals that are coming at the um at the training from many 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 different directions which I think is really advantageous Mm. it's interesting
2: actually I spoke recently to someone who's applying who's going to or intending to apply for our course and they actually enrolled in a five plus one uh program um previously um and um I think it's uh, a kind of picking up on, you said the public often doesn't know the differences in the, and I think that's also true of students. I think a lot of undergraduate students don't realise the differences in these programs and what they mean for your career. Uh, and because she actually, this student actually said that, she actually said, I didn't, I didn't know that doing a five plus one would actually not be a pathway to further specialty. I wouldn't be able to do that. And that's something to be really aware of that in Australia to get endorsed in a specialty area like forensic or clinical or you know health psychology or whatever it is, there's, I think six or seven different endorsed specialties. You have to have done a degree that gives you that specialty qualification. Um, you can't get it through on the job practice or training or competency. Uh, and so that means that, um, Unfortunately, there are limited places because of things about how universities and governments are organised. Um, that has that nothing to do with the individuals who want to do it and the number of people who want to do it. Um, but, but it does mean there are restricted places. I will say just briefly, and this is probably not relevant to most undergrads listening, is that just because you start off not doing forensic psychology doesn't mean you can't come back and do forensic psychology. So you might, let's say you decide, oh, you know, I want to I want to apply for a, a program in clinical or in counselling or in, or in some other field or of specialty and you get into that program, you complete it, you become a, a, a registered psychologist and you're on the pathway to that endorsement. And then you're like, oh, actually, I'd really like to go back and do forensic training. You can go back and do like the UNSW masters potentially, or you could come back and do a bridging program that gives you the forensic qualification. We run one of those. We even have someone, I think we've got two students at the moment who are clinical psychologists who have come back to do the d psych So they're doing the full d psych program because they want to do, they want the forensic specialty and they want to do a research project. So they're actually redoing their clinical placements. Um, we give them some recognition for the coursework, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but um, so, so, you know, there there are many ways to skin this cat, if you like. Um, and, and, you know, being a psychologist is about is, you know, as cliche as it sounds about lifelong learning, that's the reality. Um, and so what happens at the end of your honors year, isn't the final kind of thing that happens. It, it it keeps going from there.
1: Yeah. But understanding some of the limitations, as you said, Troy, is really, really important that, My understanding is that currently, if you're a generally registered psychologist, unless you go back and do a six-year program, you're not ever going to be eligible to go and do the uh, like to gain an endorsement. No, it's right. Um, like from a five plus one or from yeah. a four plus two.
2: Yeah, you um, have to do however it's yeah, program. Yeah. Ha- mm-hmm.
1: However, you know, you can, there are now what what are called bridging programs, and I think that's what you're running, Troy, is where you can go from one endorsement to another endorsement, but you can't go from, from the non- generally registration into the endorsement. Yep. So it's there really are those two classes that that exist. And If you want to make sure that you've got uh, you know as many doors remaining open as possible um you know that's why i think that's the biggest Mm -hmm. advantage of the six-year program other than the great training i mean put it this way in in victoria i don't know how this is for other states and territories but in
2: victoria if you want to work in the public sector in mental health you have to be have a specialty endorsement as a clinical counseling or forensic or a neuropsychologist you can't work in the public sector
1: as a generally endorsed psychologist in victoria I think in New South Wales, you still can, mm. but I think that you can you you will probably come into an entry level position mm. and any of the senior positions or specialty positions, I think are would only I think that's where they're moving towards. I think there's been a lot of grandfathering over the years, but I think moving forward, it's going to be um, if you have an endorsement, then you can move into a specialty or a senior position. So it really does kind of limit the um, career opportunities if you're a generalist psychologists so
0: I guess we've kind of already touched on um I guess the next question which is in terms of what does career progression look like after you finish your respective program so really what is life like after you finish studying <laughs> i was
2: gonna say Maddie you should be able to answer
0: this this is like you're nearly there <laughs> I know I wish I was there my life would look so good right now but <laughs> I'll let the experts answer so go ahead <laughs>
1: Oh, um so i think that i when i w- when i was thinking about this question there was a couple of ways that i wanted wanted to answer it is that you know so there's you know if you're going to work in australia you're going to work either generally speaking in kind of government or private kind of work and um or or not for profit and um and i think that there are lots and lots of positions that are available for practicing forensic psychologists um, most of our students before they're graduating, they're being offered positions. Um, there are lots of positions available. Um, and I do think that there is um, a, a fair opportunity to go and progress through systems um, over time, where you're you're doing things like managing different units or developing programs or going into policy or those kinds of things. And I think that, the, every year, I take our students off for a field trip uh, to one of the local jails. It's, it's a funny thing to do, but um, what the students kind of talk about in, in in talking to the psychologists that are working in the jails, you know, when they the jail psychologists talk about, oh, I was working in this unit, and then I was over here, and now I'm over here, and now I'm doing this, is is the kind of the breadth and the of opportunities even within some of the different government. Um, Organizations, um, so I th- I think that's what it looks like in Australia. Um, if you wanted to go, psychology is not one of those degrees that are is easily transportable to other countries. When you move to another country, uh, if you want to still practice as a psychologist, you're going to have to have your um, work experience and your schooling all evaluated by the uh, countries. Um, usually their accreditation council or their registration board or somebody. And every jurisdiction, generally speaking, has different requirements. In Canada, uh, where I trained, um, we had to do um, uh, what is what is called the Ps, which is the examination for the professional practice of psychology. And you had to get a particular mark. It's a kind of a statewide board exam. Um And um, so if you like, if somebody wanted to go and practice in Canada, they would probably have to go and do the EPPPs and whatever other requirements were um, required and many places um, require a PhD as a minimum as well. So just noting that it is not the most transportable. It's not like if you're a nurse, you get to kind of practice anywhere you want across the world, it's pretty easy, but psychology is not that way.
2: The other thing I think with Anita, I think
1: um, that
2: career idea and being in forensic I think gives you this great opportunity to do different things. I think you kind of captured that in what you said that, I think just focusing on that immediate period after the, after you finish a degree, um, essentially you go on to the registrar program, which basically means you you continue to do some supervised practice. So you are a fully registered psychologist uh, and you're on a pathway towards having that specialty endorsement. So you'll do that supervised practice for another two years um, to get that, that specialty area of endorsement. But, um, you know, in my experience, as, as Nita said, you know, that that registrar period is is... No, in, you know, it doesn't inhibit you from getting jobs. Um, people want—they want to have—you um, know—they they, they want to have well-trained psychologists. They want to have well-trained forensic psychologists working for them. So that you know, the fact that you have the specialty thing is, is quite important. And then for our students who have the clinical and the forensic, they have to do two registrar programs. So that that keeps on going um, right through to get to get the dual registration. So. Um, those kind of positions again i'm sorry i don't know really the situation outside of victoria but certainly in victoria those um while you're on that registrar program that's that's a standard psychology entry-level position there's no you know there's no kind of worse pay or anything because you're a registrar it's all the same um it's just that you're on this program to become to become a fully endorsed specialty psychologist
1: um yeah. yeah lots of graduating students want to get government jobs because often that supervision is built into the position um okay. if you went and worked in some other positions where they don't have supervising psychologists available, it means you're paying for that supervision through that that uh couple of years so um yeah a lot of a a lot of graduates want to go and get those government positions where there's Um, that supervision is included in the package.
0: And I guess, um, so obviously the D-Psych has the clinical and forensic together, but I know that most of the postgraduate programs offered in psychology are very clinical psychology dominated. So being the only two programs in Australia where you can study to become a forensic psychologist eventually, what do you think, I mean like why is it important to have specific forensic psychology training?
1: Um I'll I'll, I'll start. <laughs> um so I think the the way that w- when I was in Canada it it looked quite different. It was kind of like clinical was kind of the basic training and then forensic kind of sat on top of it. And and you know here in Australia they're kind of two similar but but different kind of programs. We're more and, like the
2: British. We, we have mimicked the British system, which is where clinical and forensic are quite separate. Yes. Um, so we're more commonly like the British. Coincidentally yes. the, the D psych was established by a Canadian. Ah. So <laughs> so there's a reason I think that the D psych looks the way it does. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: Fair, fair. Um you know so when I you know the training that we provide is you know you do get the kind of the basic clinical kind of training about you know, what are the systems of diagnosis and how do you do an assessment and treatment and what are some of the modalities that we can use and all those kinds of things. I think the thing that we do that that is extra to a clinical program is that often like we have a couple of law classes that students take so that they have kind of a grounding in both civil and criminal law. Um, that's part of what makes it different. It does make them lawyers, uh, but it does give them kind of a better understanding of what um, can be, uh, you know, some of the an intersection between law and psychology, um, there's an emphasis on uh, modalities like motivational interviewing because, you know, as as Troy said, a lot of our clients really don't actually want to be in the room with us. Uh, so we need to go and engage um, clients to uh, work on things that are going on for them. We have to have an understanding of offending theories and interventions. Uh, we uh, and we, yeah. So it's, it's there are some things that that make what we do quite special. The other thing that, that I think makes us quite special is um, the ability to do a risk assessment so using structured um, uh, measure or structured professional judgment tools and actuarial tools um, really kind of differentiate what we do.
2: Yeah and I would say kind of I think all of those things are how to say, correct um, for for me one of the things I think that also differentiates a forensic psychologist or that or that skill set. I mean I'm both so I'm both a clinical and forensic psychologist. Um uh, which I imagine probably an are as well coming from campus. I was
1: trained clinically yeah. but uh, but I like I was trained before forensic psychology existed, existed. like yeah, this is how old I am. Yep. So yeah <laughs> fair enough.
2: Um but I think if I if I fo- if I think about the things I, I would say I'm more of a forensic psychologist than I am a clinical psychologist, it, despite having both those skill sets. And if I think about the things that I do well and the things that I feel like I would need to go back and kind of practice more to do what, you know, better, in forensic, you know, it's thinking about behaviour. And thinking about why people do what they do and and to be honest I'm less interested in diagnosis and mental illness per se than I am in understanding how that person's thinking and feeling and kind of what's going on inside their head is 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 contributing to to them behaving in ways that are unhelpful to them and obviously potentially criminal or, or harmful to others whereas in clinical psychology um you tend to be just I think by virtue of the kinds of roles often the clinical psychologists are in there is more of a um an emphasis on mental health and 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 maybe not diagnosis Mm -hmm. but certainly Mm -hmm. symptoms and these kinds of things that that I think just isn't it's just not as important in some ways weirdly in forensic even though it's still very it's still important but it's not as important it's not the central thing that you're doing in forensic
1: yeah yeah agreed
0: yeah Absolutely. It's kind of two very different things. And that's something that I've become more aware of as I've gone through the training. Starting off, it's very confusing. And then as you get further along, you're like, oh, okay, I think I kind of get it now. I'm doing two different, very different things.
2: Yeah. I mean, I actually wouldn't supervise. Like I, right now, I, even though I'm a registered supervisor, I wouldn't supervise people purely in a clinical setting because I personally, I don't do that kind of work and I don't feel like i am practiced enough in recent years to do that really well um if you know if i was working in a clinic where they were people coming for you know ocd or something or anxiety i'd be like oh okay i'm gonna have to go back and really refresh my thoughts about what i'm meant to do in those cases because it's not something i do you know despite the fact that technically i'm a clinical psychologist um yeah Yeah.
0: um and i guess this is something that we ask everyone that we interview. Uh, so in terms of any words of wisdom, particularly for those people, Troy, don't laugh. Um, you have some wisdom. Uh, uh, any words is this, of this is wisdom? how much students treat me, see? This is the- <laughs> I hear you. <ya>. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, please, please edit my thesis, it's okay. (laughs) Um, But yeah, sorry. Uh, So words of wisdom that either of you have, um, particularly focusing on those people that are thinking about pursuing a career in forensic psychology.
1: I I guess what I have to say, I've been um, a psychologist now for 30 years. Um, It is a fantastic, varied career. I have done all kinds of different things over the years. And I've just, you know, what I really love is that I get to go and and kind of continue learning. So I get to be a lifelong learner. I really appreciate that. Um, I think that my words of wisdom would be about preparing to be challenged about your beliefs. Um, And the other piece, I think, is you're going to get challenged about finding a balance um i think that the only way that i have survived over 30 years is finding that i've you know that balance between work and play knowing my limits because they're gonna get stretched at times um yeah so just making sure that you have a life like a good life outside work i think that would be my big words of wisdom i
2: would endorse that particularly right now
1: (laughs) (laughs) especially during lockdown yeah Yeah, Yeah. absolutely Mm. um
2: I think i'm just going to focus mine a bit more kind of around the people who maybe listen to this podcast which is probably going to be undergraduate people and and i'm conscious that you know there's a lot of pressure um and you know it is highly competitive to get onto these kinds of degrees um and you know to be to be honest with yourself and to really think about you know what do you want to do? Like, why is it that you want to do this kind of work? Like, what is the thing that you think this will um, satisfy or, or, or be good, you know, why will you be good at it and why would it be a good thing for you? So both of those things. Um, and don't forget that there are multiple ways to achieve those ends. Um, so, you know, the reality is that not everyone who wants to get on these courses gets on these courses. That's, that's the sad and unfortunate. And it's not, it's not a nice, you know, the best calls that I get to make is when I get to tell someone they got into the course. It's a fantastic moment. And it's really, you know, it's it's not nice that we we have people who don't get onto these courses and they really desperately want to. That said, the kinds of things that you can achieve um you know, even if you don't get on one of these courses, it doesn't mean you can't work in the field of forensic practice. There are plenty of different roles in this field. Um, And so don't feel like um, this is one option and it's not the option for everybody. Um, but it's it's a great option if you get into it and if it works for you. But as Anita said earlier, you know, it, it, some people get onto it having tried so hard and they actually go, oh, this actually isn't what I want to do, you know. So so do you have a real kind of, as frank as you can, think with yourself about why do I want to do this and, and what is it that this, this kind of, you know, means to me. Um, it doesn't have to be your vocation. Like I'm not going to pretend you need to love it. You know, everyone loves their job. I certainly don't all the time, Maddie. Um, but... Um, <laughs> but oh, nice. equally, yeah. <laughs> but equally, you know, you, you do have to want to do this job. It's, it's, it's not a job you can do if you don't really want to do it. So yeah. Have a think about that.
1: Yeah. yeah. I think that, I think you, you won there,
0: Troy. That was really <laughs> good. <laughs> I know, I'm such a pain, honestly. (laughs) Well, thank you both. Um, That was really wonderful to have you come on and speak to us and kind of get that firsthand knowledge about what it's like to get into these programs and how to do that and what life looks like afterwards. So really appreciate your time um, and thank you very much and I hope you get to enjoy your respective Friday evenings in your lockdowns.
1: So (laughs) So welcome. So much fun. Mm -hmm.
0: And that concludes episode nine of Forensic Minds. Thank you so much again to Anita and Troy for taking the time to speak about both of the programs. We really hope that for those that are interested in either of those programs that you found the information that you were after. If not, please go to their respective um, websites to find out more and get in contact with someone from either of those universities to discuss more about those programs. But for now, thank you you so much and please join us next time.